Hello, everyone. Welcome uh, to worship. Welcome to grace. It's the most uh, famous appearance of an angel in all of history. This story has inspired songwriters and poets and novelists for some 2,000 years now. In my opinion, the story we look at today contains some of the most encouraging lessons in all of Scripture. So I'm I'm excited to explore it with you as we continue in this series that I'm calling Angels Among Us. But before we jump into this amazing story, I want to remind you of something we touched on just last Sunday. It's one of the verses that we looked at, and it talks about the purpose the purpose of angels and what their mission really is in this world. It's found in Hebrews chapter one and verse 14. And it says of the angels, it's speaking about the purpose of angels here. And it says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So the the Bible's very clear that angels are called and commissioned. They are like God's secret agents, if you will, on special assignment to serve followers of Jesus Christ. Boy, if you're a follower of Jesus today, that ought to kind of excite you, that God actually has special forces, a SWAT team, this incredible force of angels that are, their very purpose is to serve you and come alongside of you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, Christian theologians, as they study angels, uh, many of them are saying that they believe that the activity of angels is escalating. Why would they say such a thing? Why Why would they even conjecture about that? Well, it's because they believe we're in the last of the last of the last days. And according to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12, it says that this dragon, this ancient serpent, Satan, 
was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And it says there in verse 12, it says he is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Now, I think it's only logical that if Satan is escalating his activity and that of the demons in these days, it's logical, I think, to conclude that God, through the angels, would be working overtime as well for those who truly love and know the living God. So they're here on assignment for, for us. So the story we're about to explore is an example of how angels actually serve. Let's consider, first of all, the mission of the angel. If you have your Bible, we're looking now in Luke's gospel, chapter one, and we read here in verse 27, 26 rather, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, the Old Testament had predicted that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. If you wanna go and read where it says that, it's in Micah, the prophet Micah chapter five, verse two. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. That's the prophecy. It came hundreds of years before Jesus was incarnated into this world as a baby. And the prophet prophesied by the Spirit that it would happen in Bethlehem. So why in the world is Gabriel now talking about Nazareth? Why is the mission to Nazareth? I mean, that's a podunk town in the middle of nowhere. You think you come from a redneck, hick town, some of you. You ain't seen nothing like Nazareth. Nathaniel, one of the disciples of Jesus, would later say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, that was the reputation of this out-of-the-way place. So God said to Gabriel, look, I want you to go to Nazareth and I want you to go to a virgin. Now, that also shouldn't be a surprise if you're familiar with the Old Testament. Isaiah in chapter seven, verse 14 had said, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. So God had prophesied hundreds of years before the event, that a virgin would give birth to a son. What a strange, strange prophecy. So for anyone who knew their Old Testament, they knew that that had already been proclaimed. So again, no surprise there. But I suppose what could have been surprising is that God would send the angel to such an unassuming, obscure, and humble peasant girl like Mary. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus today, as I said earlier, there are just lessons all through this story. But here's one that I want you to note, and I hope that God will help you never forget. 
God's thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. We think we know sometimes how God ought to work, but God knows what he's doing. And God, according to scripture, chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You might call it the upside down ways of God. But God just does things in a way that many of us wouldn't do it. And so God chose Mary as his instrument. So we've glanced now at the mission briefly of the angel, but I want us to think now about the message that the angel brought. What is the the, the message? Uh, This is an incredible message. This angel Gabriel was sent to visit Mary and he gave her this startling message. We find that in verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, in Latin, the word greetings is Ave, as in Ave Maria. Greetings, Mary, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. In other words, God's telling her, look, you are God's special servant. You are chosen for one of God's most important assignments in all of history. Now, when you study the Bible, one of the lessons that you probably will take away is that God uses whom he chooses. We've already said his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways, but but a part of the expression of that is God chooses some people we might not have chosen. God chooses people that others would probably overlook. I mean, God chose Noah for a special assignment to build an ark for the preservation of the human race. God chose Abraham. Why Abraham? We don't know. But he just picked him. He, he tapped him on the shoulder when he was living in Ur of the Chaldees. And, and the Bible says that Abraham said yes to that call and he went out not knowing where he was going. God chooses people. God chose Moses, (laughs) spoke to him through a burning bush in Exodus 3 and said, I want you to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. God chose him. God chose David. Even when he was tending the sheep, he was the least of Jesse's sons. You would have never picked this guy. They didn't even want him to appear before Samuel, but they thought there's no way he would ever be chosen. And yet, as the psalmist later says in Psalm 78, God took him from the sheep pen and called him to be the leader of his people, the next king of Israel. And as you read the story of the prophets, you see that God chooses prophets. And we don't always get their call story, but, but some of them we do. And one of the ones that we get insight into his story is the prophet Jeremiah. And we read in Jeremiah chapter one and verse five, God said, "Before, look, get this, this is amazing. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. What I'm trying to get you to see, brothers and sisters, is that God chooses people, and he chooses them for assignments 
We could go on and on. Saul of Tarsus was chosen to become the great apostle to the Gentiles, and he was chosen even before he was converted to Christ. But here's what I want you to hear today. God's choice of Mary was more special, more instrumental, more noteworthy than all of those I've mentioned. You see, to be the mother of the Messiah was an assignment that just about every young Jewish girl hoped, just hoped against hope that she might have. And Mary, Mary was favored of God indeed. Now, if that were you, if you were chosen by God specially for such an incredible assignment, what would your response be? Would you be leaping up and down, giddy with joy? I want you to notice Mary's initial, Mary's initial response to this greeting. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and, and wondered what kind of greeting This might be, why? I mean, everybody wants God's favor, don't they? I mean, some of you would kill to have God's favor. We desire, we yearn, we long for God's favor. We pray for God's favor. Mary's got it. Why is she not leaping up and down with joy in this moment? I think Mary understood something that I hope all of us understand. I think Mary understood that with every blessing from God comes a corresponding burden. Are you listening to me today? Because some of you are really blessed by God, but with every blessing comes a corresponding burden. And one of the burdens she would have to bear for years in her life is no one would believe her. I mean, come on. Is anybody really gonna believe that she was a virgin, that this was a miraculous birth? After all, they hadn't been visited by an angel. So why would they? And for so many years to come, she would have to bear that stigma. Oh, you know, she got pregnant before she was married. Talking about a miraculous birth. Yeah, we know better. And even when Jesus was an adult, the religious leaders were were still sneering at him and mock him and saying, we don't really know who your father is, you know. It was a way to put a jab in there and they were still talking about the fact that nobody believed Mary's story at this time. And she went through all this pain until she was finally vindicated. Listen to me today, brothers and sisters. To be selected by God inevitably involves some suffering for God. To be selected by God inevitably involves some suffering for God. The apostle Paul even later says, yes, Anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you're going to go through some persecution. You're going to go through some suffering. It's just a part of the deal, part of the deal. So we aren't always jumping up and down when God taps us on the shoulder. Whatever our call is, we aren't always excited about that. 
this past weekend, a week ago, I got news that our family farm was going up on auction. And even though my mother died in 2009 and none of our family had lived there in all these years in between, a dear woman had lived there who kept everything just the same as it was when I was growing up. So it was kind of neat. I was able to go into the house that I grew up in where all my memories are. I was able to go in a couple of times over the last 14 years or so. And everything was exactly the same. She hadn't changed a thing, not a thing. The sheetrock on the wall, the same color. Everything in the bathroom, the same. Even the towel rack, the exact same little glass tubular towel rack that I had had all of my years growing up, everything the same. But now it's going up for public auction. And all of my family said, you're gonna regret it for the rest of your life if you don't go one more time and see this house. That's where all my memories are. Every square foot of that barnyard contains memories. Every square inch of that house has memories for me. The only house I ever knew growing up. But going back there was not only an emotional thing, it was a very nostalgic time for me because I was reminded anew and very fresh about my own call from God. At the age of 13, as a young teenager, I knew that God was calling me to be a preacher. And that was so weird for my family because most of my family weren't even Christians to begin with. My mom and a few others were. But no one had ever, and I mean ever, been called to a pastoral ministry or preaching ministry. So I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know what it was. And I begged God to get me off the hook. I kid you not. Oh my goodness, I'll never forget those early years. I couldn't stand it. I said, God, I lit this dialogue that went on. God, I'll do anything. And then I started naming all the jobs that I'd be willing to do. Now, I won't name any of them lest you do them, okay? But lest that happens to be your job, your vocation, but I'd never name it, all the most detestable jobs I could think of. God, I'll do that, but just not preaching. That's literally how much I abhorred the idea of being a preacher. If you sense a God, a call from God on your life, I wanna tell you, you may ignore it for a while, you may resist it, you may deny it, you may even abhor it as I did, but eventually you gotta face it and give God your response. That's what Mary did. You're highly favored, Mary, and Mary was troubled at the angel's words. Gabriel then made the several surprising announcements to Mary that kind of come in rapid succession. I I want us to look at those together. He said, for instance, you will be with child and give birth to a son. What, What a shock. I mean, Mary wasn't even married. She was morally pure. What's going on here? Verse 31. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Wait a minute. The mother and the biological father usually get the privilege of naming their own child. What's going on here? The angel's even given the name. 
This child is gonna be called Jesus, which means savior. And then in verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Wait, he's not gonna be called the son of Joseph? The son of the most high? What a, what a strange title that is. It goes on in verse 32. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. What? I mean, a peasant, a peasant girl like Mary would never dream that her child would be a king. That was a privilege for the royal family, for goodness sakes. Verse 33. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. David, considered the greatest king, the most endearing king of Israel, he had reigned for 40 years, but he died. And he was buried with his father. His reign was over. And some of, the, some of the kings of Judah down through the centuries had reigned for a long, I mean a long time. Some of them were on the throne for decades, but they all eventually died. So how could this be? How could her child have a kingdom and reign forever? What a strange message. But as the angel spoke, more and more it dawned on Mary that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. But if his mission and his message were surprising, I, I want you now to consider one of the greatest surprises of all, the mystery of this whole thing. Let's think about that for a moment. Upon hearing the angel's pronouncement here, <laughs> Mary was logical. She asked the same question that any sane person on the planet would ask. She asked it here, it's recorded in verse 34. How will this be? since I am a virgin. Understandably, the first person to question the virgin birth was Mary herself. She knew she had not been sexually intimate with anyone. But what Gabriel said next must have given her some encouragement. It must have calmed her anxiety a bit. Because he said in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will, to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, if you've grown up in church at all, perhaps you grew up reciting a creed on Sunday. Maybe the Nicene Creed, perhaps the Apostles' Creed. And all of the great creeds of the church talk about the virgin birth. The Apostles' Creed, for instance, says that he was, speaking of Jesus, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Same with the Nicene Creed, which came later. It was formulated later after the council, at the Council of Nicaea. It says that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. But you know, that's a, that's a hard one for a lot of modern people to believe, isn't it? People scoff at that idea, come on. And they begin with a worldview that excludes miracles right up front. And so how can we possibly believe that such a thing could happen? And in our intellectual pride, 
We look down our nose and sneer at the idea. We try to explain it away. We try to come up with other ways that this could have happened. And as a result, the deity of Jesus ends up being denied by a lot of people and the authority of the Bible is undermined. But here's the truth. God brought the Messiah, Jesus our Lord, into the human family in a distinctive way. A distinctive way. So that he would be without sin, and that he would be a perfect sacrifice on the cross. I wanna remind you of something I find quite provocative. Luke, the human author of the Gospel of Luke that we're studying, he wrote Luke and Acts in our New Testament. Luke was a medical doctor. And you know the author, human author in the Bible that spoke more and said more about the virgin birth than any other author? the medical expert, Luke. He was absolutely convinced that the virgin birth was real. And so the angel said, look, I'm gonna give you a sign, Mary, to verify this amazing news. And then we go on. Even Elizabeth, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. Nothing is impossible with God. What a great statement that is, huh? Nothing is impossible with God. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. And if you read on in the story, and I urge you to do so, you see that Mary rushed to see her relative, Elizabeth. Elizabeth was also pregnant. We looked at that story last week. And Mary wanted to share this good news with someone who would actually believe her and rejoice with her. And I like what verse 41 says. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, get this now, the baby, the baby, six months old, in her womb, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. I love that detail God gives us in the text. John the Baptist, a six-month-old little baby developing in his mother's womb, in the joy that he felt in the presence of Jesus the Messiah, just leaped for joy. And Elizabeth said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Folks, as I said at the beginning, to me, this is a story that contains some of the greatest lessons in all of scripture. And so now, as we turn the final corner here in our journey, I want us to talk about the meaning of all of this for us. As I frequently remind you, God did not give us that thing we call the Bible. God did not give it to us just to fill our heads with facts and information. He gave it to change our lives. He gave it for us to get it, 
deep in our hearts to eat that very word, not just to study it, but literally to absorb it, to eat it like nourishment so that it will change our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I just wanna highlight, there are many lessons here, but I wanna highlight one, and I pray that whoever you are, whatever your age or wherever you are on your life journey, I pray that you would go away with this message resounding, resounding in your heart and soul. Here it is, the only message I wanna highlight, God has a purpose for every life. God has a purpose for every life. Some of you don't believe that, so you really need to listen right now. Some of you used to believe that, but you've kind of lost sight of that, so you as well need to listen carefully right now. Now, let's be, let's be honest. God's role for you, for me, isn't gonna be as dramatic as Mary's or Elizabeth's. They were critical pieces in the salvation story that God was writing. And probably, I don't know for sure, in fact, I kind of hope it happens, it'd be kind of cool, but probably you're not gonna be visited by an angel saying God's got a special mission in mind for you. It could. And if it does, please tell me about it, all right? Because I wanna join in and rejoice with you. But it's probably, probably not gonna happen in exactly that same way. But make no mistake, God has a purpose for every life, no matter how insignificant it may appear on the surface. A mom out in California was taking a whole bunch of school kids to school in her big old whopping vehicle. She had one of these that's just like a boat. You know what I'm saying? She could just cram a bunch of kids in there. And this was before the days of buckling up in seat belts and everything. And they were just all in there. And she was taking them to school. And they pulled over the side of the road because she heard a, a fire truck coming. There was a loud siren. And the kids watched it as it went by. And there was a Dalmatian dog sitting right there in the front seat of this fire truck. And the mother started listening to the conversation of these children as they discussed what purpose the dog had and why he was there with the fireman. One said, well, I think the dog goes along to keep the people back from the fire. They said, no, 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 no. The, The dog goes inside the burning building and he helps find the people and helps save them. Another one said, no, I... I think the dog is there just to be a companion to the driver. And a fourth child brought the discussion to a halt when he said, no, the dog is there to find the nearest fire hydrant. (laughs) Every part of God's creation has a purpose. No matter how insignificant it may appear. And hey, I'm talking to people right now, your purpose may seem insignificant. You may not even be aware of it yet. But here's the crucial thing. Whatever you understand of God's purpose, our call, our call, whether we understand it greatly and in depth or whether we've only got a little snippet of it right now, our responsibility is to be at our post, to be faithful, believing that God is weaving a plan and a purpose beyond what we could possibly understand. I love the Old Testament story of that Syrian captain of the Syrian army. 
His name is Naaman. You can read about this for yourself in 2 Kings chapter 5. It's an incredible story. He has leprosy. He's contracted leprosy, this incurable disease. And there's a, a servant girl in the house, a little Israelite girl. She doesn't even, her name's not even given. And she says to Naaman, this great commander, listen, uh, you know, you've tried lots of cures and remedies, but maybe you ought to go to a man. There's a man in Israel. There's a man, he's down in Samaria right now. His name is Elisha. And you know, God uses him to heal people. You ought to go, you ought to go see Elisha. Long story short, he did. And God miraculously healed Naaman of his leprosy. You know what? I wonder what would have happened if that unnamed servant girl hadn't been at her post, sensitive to God's voice, and made that suggestion. Would Naaman ever have been healed? In the New Testament, we have a man like Andrew who became one of the disciples of Jesus. And it seems that he, he was kind of behind, he wasn't one of the upfront guys. He was behind the scenes, but he was always introducing people to Jesus. And you know what? One of the people he introduced was his brother, a guy named Simon Peter, who became one of the eminent leaders in the early church. He was the main spokesman for the early church in the book of Acts. I wonder what would have happened if Andrew hadn't been at his post and been sensitive to what was going on and been faithful to do God's will. You see, here's the problem. Most of us are looking for something big and dramatic in our lives. Our motto is, go big or go home, baby. I get it. I like big, dramatic results too. Believe me, I like things that are obvious where you know you've got a real win here, where you can measure your wins easily. But God's ways are not always our ways. God's thoughts are often not our thoughts. And God wants us to be faithful even in the little things. And faithfulness in the little things will often open a door to greater opportunities our job is to be at our post and leave the results to God. There was over 100 people at the auction last Saturday. Man, it was just buzzing, and I got reacquainted with a lot of people I'd grown up with and lived in the community with there, the Gum Springs community, and some of them even gone to church with, caught the school bus with them and all that stuff, and there was just all these people milling around at the auction. But later, when everybody was gone, it was a beautiful day later on, and I went back to the barnyard and just kind of walked around and prayed. Everything was calm. Nobody was there. And I thought about my life. And I thought about where I had uh, played basketball for hundreds, literally hundreds of hours with a hoop there attached to the corn crib. And I thought about the barn where we'd thrown bales of hay down to feed the cattle in the winter. And I thought about where we'd gone out into the fields and gathered the crops. And I thought about my room where I'd knelt and prayed every morning and every evening for God to guide my life and show me his plan. And I just had this thought. Have you ever had one of these crazy thoughts God, what would it have been like 
if I'd gotten off your path. And I just was overwhelmed. (sighs) Overwhelmed with gratitude to God for not only calling me, but giving me the grace and the guidance to stay on the path. I can't imagine where my life would be without that. Now listen, I'm talking to people today and your life matters. God has a purpose for every life, but you're discouraged right now if we're being honest about it because you wanna go big or go home. It doesn't always start that way. And it may never look like this amazing thing, but your life, your life is like the backside of a tapestry with all those threads all jumbled and chaotic looking and you can't make any sense of it. But one day in heaven, God's gonna flip the tapestry over and you're gonna see the thread of your life and you're gonna see, oh, now I get it. Now I get how God was guiding me even through those hard times. And if I had not remained faithful and stayed at my post, and kept believing that God has a purpose for me, this scene would have looked very, very different. Very different indeed. God has a purpose for you, and I don't want you to miss out on it. And more than that, your heavenly Father doesn't want you to miss out on it. Open your life in a brand new way today. Yield your life to him. Say like Mary said, Lord, be it to me as you have said. I want your will to be done in my life. Father, we we come to you right now and we give our lives afresh and anew to you. We thank you that (laughs) you delight in calling women and men to be your people your representatives, your spokespeople in this world, your leaders, your servants. You called Mary. You gave her a special assignment, and you call us. Sometimes our assignments look insignificant to us, and we get all confused about where all this is going. So for that person today who's kind of confused or discouraged or just wondering, where is God in all this? Lord, would you show them that you are indeed at work and their life matters and you are weaving a plan that will blow their mind. It'll be for their good and your glory. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.